Galatians chapter 6. Having everything he has said and dealing, you know, with this attack on his apostolic authority and this whole battle with the Judaizers about uh, adding works, you know, the work of the law, uh, Paul's going to bring all this kind of to a conclusion. And then he's going to give this wonderful example of love. He, he talked, remember last week, the end of uh, the book, I mean, of the fifth chapter about the fruit of the spirit versus those who walk according to the flesh. Here he says, brethren, if anyone is caught in a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourselves so that you too will not be tempted. The idea may be something like this. Having talked about all the sins of the spirit, I mean of the flesh, and having made clear that the person who lives that way uh, is not really a follower of Christ, but it's also true that sometimes we stumble that way. And there's a big difference between stumbling and, and committing a, a sinful act and living a lifestyle given over to that. I made that clear last week, I hope. Still, we're going to stumble in life. It may be things that we're not even aware of. So when they're caught, the idea of caught is not we caught you, but they've been caught up in. They've, they've been caught up in some sort of sin that we're trespasses to sin against. It's, a, it's something against, most likely maybe against a person, probably in a specific way. It could be anything, but against a person. The spiritual, the people who live according to the spirit, the fruit of the spirit. Now, that word spiritual, we look at it kind of differently and we have people who think they're super spiritual. I, I, I get that. That's not what we're talking about. But people who have, especially if there's some maturity in your spirit, that means you have to be old, but there's just a sense of maturity and you, and you understand what it is to live the fruit of the spirit. Notice what it says. It doesn't say criticize them. It doesn't say point them out. It says restore them, bring them back. The word restore uh, is the idea of a bone that's been broken and needs to be set and fixed. It's the idea of putting back into its original state. He says to help them, restore them to where they need to be. Notice how he says, in gentleness, in a spirit of meekness, humility, gentleness. In the Sermon on the Mount, one of the Beatitudes, Jesus said, blessed are the gentle, you know, blessed are the meek, the same thing. Blessed... Gentle doesn't mean soft. It, it speaks of a strength that is tamed. It speaks of an ability to have a power, but that power is used gently. It, it, it really speaks of a stallion, a wild horse that has unbelievable power, but is willing to submit itself to the one who rides it. Um, do that, and then look to yourself that you will not be tempted. At the same time, you've got to protect yourself. So it's kind of it's a little bit like, you know, it's not about being critical of pointing out their sin and forgetting your own sin. It's the recognition that we're all sinners that at some point we're probably going to need someone to restore us gently. And, and it's not to be critical. Uh, Christ in the Sermon on the Mount says don't be judgmental for the way that you judge others will be judged against you. At the same time, he said, but be discerning. Don't cast pearls before swine or take what is sacred to dogs. It's, it, 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 there is that relational aspect of, of what it means. But when you see someone who got caught up in something, we need to go and help them through that process, knowing that it could be us sometimes. He then goes on and he adds a further kind of layer of this love. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. That burden that he's talking about, it means a heavy burden. It, it, is, it is a hard load. All around us, and he's talking about bear one another, especially within the church, outside the church too, but right now he's saying within the church. Sometimes people go through really difficult times. And we may not even be aware of it. Or maybe we're aware of it and other people aren't. It is the idea of sharing that burden. 
part, part of the Christian faith is to come alongside other people and share that. He says you fulfill the law of Christ. And it's interesting the word fulfill the law of Christ because we look and you don't see any laws of Jesus really. Well, except this, love one another. <laughs> he said a new commandment I give to you. He said there are only two real laws. The Ten Commandments are summed up in the two, love God, love others. And then he says a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. By, by that, they will know you're my disciples. Paul wasn't there, but undoubtedly that philosophy, that teaching had been handed down. Believers, 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 handed that to one another. It's love one another. And basically what Paul is saying is, in your love for one another, gently restore them when they're sin and bear the burden that they're carrying. That burden may be the reason for their sin or the result of their sin. Part of our, part of our obligation as followers of Jesus, is to come alongside other followers of Jesus and help them through life. That's an important thing to do. It's important that we also do that to people who aren't followers of Christ. But here he's talking with inside the church. And so that's what he's speaking to directly. He says, and this is interesting, but he wants to, verse 3 kind of gives a warning. If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Don't do this with an attitude of superiority. Well, you know, the reason I can help you is because I have no sin. And the reason I can help you is I'm super gifted. I have all nine of the fruits of the Spirit, which is only one fruit. It's not nine fruits, but like I said last week, but they think, well, I got all nine of these fruits. Not nine fruits, just one fruit. I got all of this all the way. I mean, I'm so good and gifted and talented. That's not the attitude. The attitude is one of humility because it could be us. And at some point it will be us. All of us will be on the other side of that love. He said, first of all, in verse 4, examine your own work, and then he will have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone and not in regard to another. Now, that does not mean examine your work and you can boast, but what he's saying is this. When you compare yourself to that other person and say, well, you know, at least I don't have that sin in my life, or at least I'm not carrying that burden, and that becomes your attitude. He's saying, no, no, here's what you do. Look at your own life. Think about the sin in your life. Think about the burdens you carry in your life. If you can do that and you've got no sin or no burden, then okay, you can boast in yourself. <laughs> but what he's saying is don't, don't be looking at them and comparing yourself. When we share the journey with others, it's not a, it's not a comparison. It's not a competition. It is just that, a journey of love and hope and sharing with one another. And so he says and brings this little section kind of to the conclusion of verse 5. For each one will have to bear his own load. That word load is different than the word burden. It's a little pack. It's like a backpack. We all carry something with us. We all carry some baggage. We have to bear that. So while I am carrying what I normally have to carry, back then it might be someone who's going out in the field to do work and carrying a bag of seed or supplies. In our day and age, you know, if someone you know, working out there, we might say someone you know, with the construction belt on and all of those tools or someone carrying you know, their backpack. The, the, the thing they have to carry, that picture, whatever in your life that is your kind of baggage that you carry just for being you, your past, you know, relationships, whatever it is, you have to carry that. So when another load comes that seeks to wear them down, we need to help them with that. When they're caught in sin, we need to help them with that. Because all of us are carrying a pack with us that is ours. So let's share in all the others. Having said that, Paul then kind of goes to an application. It's an example of love 
and he does this. Now, what's interesting, he kind of gives three examples in verse 6, 8, and 10. And then he has a principle kind of verse 7. So it's almost like he starts saying something as an example, gets back and writes the principle out, and then finishes the example. So I'm going to go to verse 7 first. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. Now, in conjunction with everything he has said about the Judaizers adding works, about walking in the flesh according to the Spirit, um, he says, don't, be, don't fool yourself. Don't be deceived. You cannot mock. The word mocking is the idea of turning your nose up with contempt towards God. And he lays out a very simple, basic law of life. Whatever you sow. Whatever you plant, you harvest. Now, now, I preached about this really a couple of weeks ago about giving, so I don't, I don't want to go into that too much detail. But there, there, there is in the New Testament, whether it be through Jesus or any of the apostles, kind of three principles that, from, that, that kind of are borne out. One is, whatever you plant is what you're going to harvest. Now, as I said a couple of weeks ago, I'm not a farmer by any stretch of the imagination. I am you know, he grew up in the city, and I am a, uh, no, I, I have two, I have two skills in life. I, I am like a, an old, I was going to say, can't say that, donkey. I was going to say another word, I couldn't use that. I'm like an old donkey who just, who just does manual labor. You know, I can't anymore because other things, because I've reached a certain age where I don't have to. I can do manual labor, and then, you know, then I'm a guy that is just, just a strategist, a thinker. You know, I don't have any skills. I, I, you know, to be tough, I always want to build stuff. I can't. Uh, I was in, I have, in shot class. I built this table one time. This is in eighth grade, and I kept it. It's the worst table in the world, but I was so proud because I built something. I can't, I can't do anything. I have none of those skills. I, have, I can't fix cars. I can't do anything. I can do two things. When I was younger, I could carry a ton of weight and just do manual labor, and, uh, or I can think. And, and I say that because to understand that, that those are the limitations that I have. So farming and planting and that stuff is not anywhere in my wheelhouse. So I try, I have tried, and it's just a miserable failure. But here's what I know, whatever I plant, that if it grows, that's what grows. Even I, as dumb as I am, know that. If I plant tomatoes, and I've done fairly well with tomatoes and jalapenos, I don't, I don't know why, but I'll get, I'll get tomatoes. Now here's the other principle I've said, not only do you harvest what you plant, but if you plant good seed, it'll be the good harvest. If you plant bad seed, the, the, the plant will turn out bad. So if the seeds aren't good, the, whatever you plant will not be good. It won't even grow or be destroyed. But if it's healthy seeds, then it'll, it'll grow. And then the other thing is that if you are generous in planting, you will be generous in sowing. Along with that is Jesus' idea that you will reap a harvest many times more than what you plant. So Paul, Paul is basically saying, this is, this is common knowledge. So when it comes to love, you, you reap what you sow. If you're going to be the Judaizers who are, adding, who are adding the law to grace are going to reap what they sow. It is a bad seed, produces a bad crop, and the more they plant that, the more just judgment will come upon them for that. Um, if you lack, if you walk according to the flesh, the more you do that, the more it's going to come back on. You can't get away with that forever. So, you know, if that's your lifestyle, there's a payment somewhere in the harvest. So Paul is just pointing this out. So he, he wants to then kind of help them in, in, in a situation that probably is particular to the churches at Galatia with understanding this principle with three examples that he uses. The first is found in, in verse 6. The one 
who is taught the word is to share all good things with the one who teaches them. In other words, the people who are teaching you to the Galatians, you need to provide and take care of their needs because of what they're doing. Now, so let me just say this. This is one of those verses, and, and you read up, you know, people saying, you know, you got to pay the preacher, you know, blah, blah, blah. And some say it doesn't mean that and all, all these things. So let me, let me just say this. This probably isn't dealing with the concept of paying me a salary, okay? It's not that it can't be there. That's what he's talking about. What, he, what he's really talking about back then is that in that day and age, you know, that there were people, because Christianity was so new, there were no written documents. Remember, I talked about that Sunday. They didn't have written documents. This is probably the first. This is the second written document. Galatians. The first was the book of James. Galatians is probably the second. If not the second, it's one of the first four or five. So there were people who, in teaching, had to spend a great deal of time um, sometimes in groups and oftentimes one-on-one -on -one with individuals, helping them understand how Jesus was the Messiah. If he was dealing with Gentiles, they would have to go back to the Hebrew Scriptures, help them understand the Hebrew Scriptures to some degree, and then connect that way. So it was, it was a very tedious and, and, and oftentimes a, a very labor-intense effort. They were having to grow in the faith. So Paul says, they're not going to have time to meet all their needs you need to help them so they can continue to do this. That is an example of love. Now, part of that was probably in reaction to the Judaizers who were coming in and sweeping in. And, and, and if they come from Jerusalem, other places, had means, had financial backing, and were able to spend a lot of time teaching them contra to the grace against the grace, and these other guys were trying to earn a living and you know, make, make money and, and, and teach them, and they were at a loss. Paul, uh, who, who in other places would talk about, you know, labor is worthy of the higher kind of mindset, would, would also uh, just was a tent maker, so he didn't ask them to pay him. So that, that's kind of the thing. It, the Judaizers are coming in with probably with some financial backing and means while the people teaching the truth are struggling to help them out. It's not just money. Give them a place to stay. Give them food, all that. Now, let me just say, as it relates to what I do, the reason in America in particular, a lot of places in the world, they don't pay pastors. They don't have any money. They can't. Pastors are tent makers. They're bivocational. They have another living. A lot of places in the world um, America's different, okay? It's just a different place. And a large part of the reason you pay guys like me um, is because it's the way our culture and society is. It, part of it is your expectations. Um, you know, all this doesn't happen um, by guys who were out uh, having other jobs, making, trying to make a living, and then on their spare time doing all that. Um, the amount of time, effort, and energy it takes. Just for, and just for example, in preparing a sermon, um, because y'all have access to so much information now. You have access to some of the same information I have. When I started 40 years ago, very few people had access to the information I had. And I didn't have access because I was too dumb to know it. But you have access. Some of you have the same. I have people in our church who have the same software that I use uh, to study the Bible and the Greek. Now, they don't know how to use it the way I do. That helps. You know? They don't know the Greek and the Hebrew and all the tricks and how to make all the stuff up. So it sounds good. So the expectations, the amount of time that I spend, that all of us spend, Mike and Brian, and the, the, so that's why we live in a different country. That's why you pay me. Okay? So I'm, it's, it's, not even, it's, it's not that it's just a spiritual issue even. I, I can sit there and try to make it all biblical. You pay me because that's what the market bears, and if you don't, someone else will. 
I'm not, I'm not, and I'm not saying that in a, in a catty way. I'm just saying that's the world we live in. For me to live the way I live, I, to get a job, I, I would be a lawyer or a football coach or, like I said before, you know, hustling pool or something like that. The hours I would spend to do that well would completely take away from preparing sermons. So understand, this is, it's, it's hard to take America and the way we do things and to baptize it with the Bible. There are some principles there. And it kind of is here. But really, that's the reason you do the things you do. That's why we have seven ministers on staff. It's because all that is required. Because that's what you want. And if you didn't want it, probably wouldn't pay us. Now, the simple example of this is in verse 8. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. The one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. So he's talking about holiness. So, and, and previously he said, don't live according to the flesh. Live according to the Spirit. If you live according to the flesh, that's what you'll reap. So, even though the law, even though you don't add the law to the gospel, neither do you just take the gospel and live however you want. So he says, let us not lose heart in doing good. For in due time we'll reap if we not go weary. Then in verse 10, he gives the third reason. So then while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people. And especially to those who are the household of the faith. In other words, we should do good to everyone. And the Judaizers were coming in and we're splitting the churches apart. Paul says, God's people do not split the church apart. God's people look for goodness to bring the church together. Uh, so one of the things that, that I look at in, in you know, trying to understand, you know, uh, situations and, and uh, the two churches that came here previous, came to previous to this one had split before I got there, uh, two year, each case two years before I got there. One of the things that I had to try to understand is of the people who remained, were any of them responsible for the lack of unity in the church? Because if they were responsible at some point, I was going to have to deal with that because they weren't going to change. And, and especially in Bridgeport, I had to deal with it big time. Laredo really wasn't, wasn't that big a deal, but in Bridgeport it was. Because here's the thing. People who tend to be legalistic tend to divide churches. People who walk according to the flesh, it's like, oh, live and let live. You know, they're going to go do whatever. They're not going to get, but the legalistic people, because they're going to, to, to do all that. So the first, when I was at Mineral Springs, I have a lot of illustrations to Mineral Springs, about 14 months there, that none of them are any good. I mean, they're good, but none of them are anything positive. So uh, they had a brand new, right before I got there, they had a brand new guy come to faith. Brand new. I mean, he was, but he's probably late 20s, early 30s, and he played the guitar. And so, uh, and one of the places he played, were in bars, or as my church members called them, honky-tonks, which kind of tells you their mindset uh, that way. And so basically, they took this brand new person, brand new to the faith, and instead of growing and maturing them, they kicked them out because they were still playing in bars. And, and you just want to say, what in tarnation is wrong with you? Now, I was 24 at the time. I didn't know how to say that. Now that I'm a little bit older, I wouldn't know how to say that, but those people are dead, so it doesn't matter. If I see them in heaven, I'll explain to them then if I see them. 
the legalistic mindset that we get sometimes is what splits the church apart. Now, it's not that we don't have standards. Of course we have standards. But the first standard is love, to restore people gently in love. If at some point something has to be done, but I've never kicked someone out of the church because they played or they went to a honky-tonk. I would never have deacons if I did that, for crying out loud, you know? <laughs> and none of them could play at a honky-tonk, let me tell you that right now. So here's the thing. Paul is reminding them, if this is your attitude, you will destroy the church and damage the faith of people. It's like it's not that you don't have standards. Of course you do. That's why he said, don't walk according to the flesh. But the solution isn't to be harsh. It's to love them gently. So, verse 11 he says, see what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. Normally we take that to mean that Paul had eye problems and so he had to write large. It could simply mean uh, amanuensis, the secretaries, and they normally wrote with real small, you know, the professional scribes would write with small letters to get more stuff on pages. The people who weren't professional would write big. It could mean heavy. Basically it just means I'm writing this next part. That's kind of his signal. I'm writing it now. Notice what he says. Those who desire to make a good showing in the flesh try to compel you to be circumcised simply so that they will not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. This, he just slips this verse in here, and it's one of the two or three most important verses in here. He says, the ones who are trying to get you to be circumcised, they want to make a good showing in the flesh. Why? So they don't get persecuted for the Christ. In other words, what he's saying is this. In that day and age, the Jewish faith was protected by the Romans. But Christianity was not unless it was thought to be part of the Jewish faith. Jews were persecuting Christians, not Romans. At this point, it was the Jews who persecuted Christians, not Romans. Look at, the, look at Acts. Right after the, uh, this event, Paul went uh, and had his second missionary journey. And look at how he kept getting run out and run out and run out. Look at all the things that happened to him in the second and third journeys. He said... They add the law and nobody cares. So the whole purpose of all of this is so that they don't have to deal with the consequences of rejecting the legal system and clinging to the cross only. He basically says they're cowards. The whole reason for this is to escape the cost of the cross. For those, in verse 13, he says, who were circumcised, do not even keep the law themselves. They're hypocrites. But they desire to have you circumcised so they may be boasting in your flesh. They don't even keep the whole law. Nobody keeps the whole law. It's not possible. I say this all the time. We talk about the Ten Commandments. We break the Fourth Commandment all the time. We don't keep the Sabbath. And no matter how much you try to say that Sunday is a substitute for the Sabbath, nowhere in the Old Testament or New Testament does it say you can substitute one law for another. It doesn't say that. If they could, it's not that law that they'd be commandment they'd be substituting for. It's the one a couple of commandments later. They do it so they can boast pride. Paul says this in verse 14. But may it never be that I would boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. This is the only thing to boast in. Is the cross. And what he means by this, 
is simply, I'm a follower of Jesus who's repented of my sins and been saved by the cross, which is also the resurrection. And the world's been crucified to me. Paul has already said, I've been crucified with Christ and I live not I. The whole concept is this. When I took faith in Jesus at the cross, I died to the world. And that's the only thing I boast in. And I didn't do it, Jesus did. So he says, neither circumcision is anything nor uncircumcision. But what is everything is the new creation. So whether you've been circumcised or not, it's not even the issue. It's whether you have a new creation, whether you are a follower of Jesus. And those who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the, Lord, or the, upon the Israel of God. It slips in another important verse. The Israel of God is not the Jews. It is the followers of Jesus. Paul teaches. John teaches. The apostles teach. Because Jesus taught that the children of Abraham are the followers of Christ. The true Israel is the followers of Christ. Now, you know, Jews hate that, and there's groups within Christianity that despise that. But you, can't, you cannot get away from Jesus and John and Peter and Paul all saying that. And John, Peter, and Paul say it because Jesus says it. We, as the followers of Jesus are the ones who fulfill the promise to Abraham. So he says, from now on, let no one, remember that he's, he's, people were giving him difficulties. They say he's not authentic. Let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the brand marks of Christ. The word brand mark is the word stigmata, and, and it would be used by others. Yeah, in the Roman Catholic tradition, there are some who think that there are people who bear the uh, the, the, the marks of Christ on the wrist and the, and the side and, and the ankles and you know blood pours out but really the stigmata just means the brand uh, you ranchers out there if you brand your cattle that's what it means just the, the brand he says I bear the, the mark of Christ I bear the tattoo of Jesus so when people say is it okay for people Christians to have tattoos according to verse 17 I guess so I've never understood you're good. You're good to go. So when all the preachers say, according to the Old Testament, you can't have tattoos, I'm just say, well, you know, David says, according to Paul, you can in verse 17. I'm not really saying that. I just threw that out there as a cheap throwaway line. But that's what it means. I've been marked for Jesus. Then he ends this way. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. So here's, here's Galatians. First book Paul wrote. We are saved by grace. Don't add anything to it. Don't take anything away from it. If you do, you're condemned. Don't question my apostolic authority because I have been called by Christ. It's been demonstrated in how I live my life and what I write and teach, and the other apostles all say that. Don't walk according to the flesh because if you walk according to the flesh, you're not a follower of Christ either. If you get involved in legalism or license, we use that for alliteration, flesh is license. Legalism or, you know, non-legalism, whatever, the extremes. You're not Jesus. But if you die to yourself, you die to the world, and you live for Jesus by the grace, you're good to go. And the evidence of that, by the way, is the fruit of the Spirit living within you, which is seen in the love you have for one another. And it comes back to that. 
So we got a couple minutes. I want to give you a chance to ask any questions about this or anything to do with the book of Galatians or any other things you might want to ask. Speak now. So, uh, we'll see you Sunday. And don't forget, be sure. I, I know it's tempting when, you know, people say, oh, the preacher's, preacher's not there. But, man, we really need to come. I, mean, I think Michael's going to do a really good job. And it'll be encouraging to him. If all he sees is three or four pastors out there taking notes, it's going to be hard for him. It really is. It's going to be hard for him anyway. So, pray for him. He's one of our own. Y'all come out. We'll see you later.